Welcome to episode number two of Plan Wisely with Eric Garcia. I am former New Orleans radio DJ Jag, which by process of elimination makes you Eric Garcia. Welcome. I am Eric Garcia. What's happening, Jag? <laughs> Good to be back with you. We've got a lot we're going to get into today, talking about prepping your finances for the next possible recession, and a lot of strategies we're going to get into with regard to that. But before we do all that, Eric, I got to ask you, because we were talking offline before we started recording today, you have like a bunch of languages and confusion in your life. What's going on with this? Just a little confusion. No. So a couple of weeks ago, I changed email hosts and I had to go in and change DNS settings. And I know just enough to be dangerous. Yeah, me too. It's not a good thing. Uh, so I had to call it's like Global Support Center and it had all the different countries or languages that they could provide support in. And at the top on the second column was Polish. I got a good buddy of mine who's Polish and he is um, in the process of trying to translate his entire website into Polish. It's like, this is pretty cool. So I click Polish, the entire site changes to Polish. So <laughs> like, this is pretty cool. So like I'm, I'm poking around and I can't figure out how to get back to the support center. So I called him and you know I'm trying to read Polish to him, but it was, it was pretty confusing, pretty chaotic, figured it out. Go try to read Polish sometime. And that reminded me of a time my wife thought it would be a good prank to change the language of my iPhone to German. (laughs) Dude, that was chaotic. After 10 minutes of trying to figure it out, I had to take her phone and, and literally side by side and work through the settings to figure out how to change the language back to English. So I've got to ask you, so you're talking about trying to look at stuff in different languages. And that's sometimes how I feel about this talk of recession and all this financial mumbo jumbo and some of these words and terminology that kind of make my head spin. So I'm really kind of hoping you can break this down for me because there's all these people, the chicken little, the sky is falling, recession, recession, recession. Can you sort of break this down in a way that our listeners and well, I can understand with all this technical speak about possible recession? How about this? I was reading an article the other day. This is from Barron's Magazine. The headline was, the Dow is plunging because the market is bracing for a recession that may not come. A little contradictory, all right. <laughs> How confusing is that? And if you're not a, an economics person or a market person, it's probably like trying to read your iPhone in German or your website in Polish, right? You hear inverted yield curve and the tightening Fed and trade wars and tariffs and rising debt burden, like all this stuff. If you don't, if you're not an economics person, this this is a foreign language. And you hear this and it causes fear and lack of confidence because I see it every day mm-hmm. when I talk to people. And fear leads us to make pretty poor decisions. Sure. These are the conversations I'm having every time. So if you are feeling fearful because of all the stuff you're hearing in the economy and all the confusion, you're not alone. So I'm looking at this quote about consumer confidence, uh, about it falling in the month of September. And the conference board said, consumers essentially were less positive on current conditions and their expectations about the short-term outlook. And the escalation with trade and tariffs in August rattled them. Uh, And this pattern of uncertainty, volatility, it's played out for most of the year and confidence is plateauing. And so confidence could continue right around where it is, but at some point, this uncertainty is going to diminish consumer confidence in the economic expansion. Yeah. All that to say, if you're worried about the economy, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. But 
what does that mean? How does that relate to you? How does that relate to your financial plan? And that's really what I want to talk about today. So let, let me say this. Fear is not a bad thing. I mean, there's a reason why we experience fear. Evolutionary. It's like when the caveman would run from the woolly mammoth so he wouldn't get eaten. I don't, I don't know if they lived at the same time, but let's but let's go with that. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, you know, I would run if I saw a woolly mammoth as well. <laughs> but but so, so fear is not a bad thing. It's, it should cause us to reconsider something. And if you're concerned about your financial plan or concerned about the economy, pay attention to it. This might be a good time to sit down and review your plan. In fact, that what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about a four-point financial plan that will work for anybody at any income level and any net worth if they follow it. And it's kind of so simple that I think a lot of people overlook it. And I think that's so important because sometimes you think financial plan and you think of it being this exclusive thing of, oh, I've got to have a net worth of X to put together a financial plan. But I really like the idea that this plan we're going to talk about in a few minutes really does work for anybody at any income level. We're going to do it in English, not Polish or, or German. Or Swahili or, any, or Cajun or Creole or any other language. We could do it in Spanish. Oh, there you go. Well, you could. I, I Four years in high school and two semesters in college, I can follow along. I just can't speak it. Anyway. Before we get to the plan, let's just start, you know, we talked about translating stuff into everyday terms. There's so many terms like bear market, recession, crash, pullback, correction. Kind of explain in plain, and we'll go with English for the sake of this conversation, what some of these terms mean. What does all that mean, right? I think sometimes even in the financial industry, we lose, we use a lot of these terms loosely. So real quick, a bear market is a 20% drop from a market high. So if Apple were to drop or any company were to drop 20% off its high, that's considered a bear market. So the the stock market as a whole can be in a bear market. An individual stock can be in a bear market, but it's a 20% drop. Mm -hmm. A recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP or gross domestic product. So think about all the stuff that we, all the services and all all the stuff that we create and manufacture. All the goods and services across the whole country. Exactly. All the, all, the, all the goods and services. It's two consecutive quarters of negative, of producing negative. So basically, the economy is doing less. It's not growing. Have we had a quarter of it yet? You know, they always revise these things backwards, but we have not had a quarter of it yet. So everybody's freaking out saying it's going to be two consecutive quarters. We haven't had one yet. So that's important to know. Yeah, but who knows, right? A crash is just a sudden drop in prices. Typically, crashes coincide with recessions, right? The the last crash that we had was back in you know 07 into 09, that kind of that the Great Recession. A pullback is more of a moderate drop in prices. Again, moderate and sudden are, are, are pretty vague terms here, but uh, you can think of the the last biggest pullback was fourth quarter of 2018. You know, if you remember, a lot of people thought that was the beginning of the the next recession. The S&P 500 was down about 19% or so, but it was a moderate drop and it quickly recovered. So that, that's a pullback. And a correction is considered a 10% drop in a stock price. Okay. Uh, and corrections are pretty common. Corrections happen you know, on average annually. Uh, so you're going to start hearing a lot of these terms. So Eric, it's really a kind of a continuum. A correction is like, okay, you know, a little bit of a change here. A pullback is a little bit more severe and the crash, of course, would be the worst of those three scenarios. Yeah. And here's the takeaway. All right. Here's the translation of all this. Mm-hmm. We don't know when the next correction, the next pullback, the next crash. We don't know if a pullback is the beginning of a, of a recession or not. So, in fact, there's 
five economic realities that I think that we need to keep in mind here as we build our four-point financial plan. I think it's important to go over these realities for context before we get to that plan. So fire away. The first one is that the economy and the stock market is going to go up and down. That's just the reality of it. You can't get around that. Yeah, I think it's important to know that you're going to have these speed bumps short term, but you know, generally speaking, long term, the market does grow, right? This is pretty interesting. The average year, the market's going to have an intra-year decline of 9.3%. So like, even in a positive year, there's going to be some episode that happens where the market's going to drop on average 9.3%. That kind of tells us that it's going to go up and down and that we can't fret about these periodic declines in the market. You can't be full of fear and anxiety every time the market does one of these things because it's going to happen. Yeah, That leads us to the second economic reality that economic uncertainty is the only certainty. The only constant is change. I like to think of it this way. If you, um, you played yo-yo before, right? Yeah. It goes up and down, up and down, up and down. Well, right? if, if you're better at it than I am, yeah. <laughs> that's how it, in theory, that's how it should work, right? Right. Imagine yourself playing yo-yo on an escalator. Okay, yeah. The general trajectory is up, Mm -hmm. but in the process of going up, there's times where the actual yo-yo will be lower and higher, right? But over time, the trajectory is up. That's kind of like what the stock market has done historically. The trajectory has always been up, but there's going to be times, and sometimes these times last a little bit longer than others, where the market will be down, but eventually it comes back up. And that's what it's done historically. And we have no reason to believe that it's not going to continue to do what it's done historically. So the only the only certainty is economic uncertainty. So to try to control what we can't control is a little insane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you can't avoid risk because of fear. and You can't worry about the things that are out of your control. That makes sense. It actually reminds me of this quote from uh, Tony Dungy. Now, you and I are both big football fans. Uh, Tony Dungy once said, Things will go wrong at times. You can't always control circumstances. However, you can control your attitude, approach, and response. Your options are to complain or to look ahead and figure out how to make the situation better. And Tony Dungy, for listeners who don't know, he's an NFL coach and now an analyst on NBC. And he's been through some really traumatic things in his life. He had a son pass away. And he's obviously been through a lot of ups and downs professionally as as a football coach. So controlling how you react to something going wrong in your life, whether it's minor or major, really is key here. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the your approach and attitude and demeanor in the face of uncertainty is very important. And it's no different with your finances or anything personal that you deal with. Uh, there's so many analogies between dealing with fear and lack of confidence in, in your financial plan and other aspects of life. That could be a whole other show that we can do. I want to move on here to another one of your economic realities that we're going to talk about here, and that's professional economists. Like They're kind of like the weather guy on TV. They're not always right, correct? Yeah, they're often, you know, a lot of them are oftentimes more wrong than they're right. And what's crazy is if you turn on the network news, you go home and turn on the 5 or 5.30 network news, you can have two professionals who have two competing opinions about the economy, and they both get paid a ton of money to come up with this analysis. They're often wrong. Uh, there's one economist that I, that I listened to, and he's um, his claim to fame is that he predicted the 2008 recession. And he's pretty much been predicting a recession, <laughs> it seems daily. I mean, I'm exaggerating there. But you know, if I sit here and pre- I can predict recession all day long, eventually I'm going to be right. In fact, we are headed to another recession. We just don't know when. I mean, that, that's something that we know historically, right? What goes up must come down and it goes back to the analogy of a broken clock is right twice a day. If you're calling for a recession every single day or every week or month, eventually you're going to hit on it. 
So not everything the professionals say is right. So super, super important to keep in mind. Number four of our economic reality is that no one investment is going to work every time. And I think there are some people who in this uh, world of instant gratification, they're looking for that bulletproof. Hey, you know what? I need money. I'm going to go to the stock market. I'm going to go to a financial advisor and I just want to make money. So what's the foolproof way to make money? And (laughs) there really isn't one, right? No, there's really not. The key here is diversification. I mean, you've heard this before. Diversification is basically you just spreading your money out over different investments to reduce your risk. So if all your money is in like technology companies, right? And technology companies do bad, well, you're kind of living and dying on that one particular company or that one particular industry. But if you decide to spread your money out over technology companies and healthcare companies and financial companies, well, if the technology companies do bad, well, hopefully something else will do better. I feel like you're setting me up for every cliche possible today. The next one, of course, is don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Well, I wasn't going there, but since you went there, no. There's wisdom to that, right? There's a reason why people say that, right? If you drop that one basket, well, then you just lost all your eggs. Exactly. So diversification is key. And what happens is when you're not diversified, it tends to increase the volatility, it tends to increase the risk, and people tend to make very poor decisions because they want to get out of that one particular investment that's not doing well. There's a um, fascinating statistic, and it looks at 30 years of the stock market of different investments. Yep. And it shows like how U.S. stocks did over 30 years on average, 10.2%, and government bonds, 6.3%, inflation, 2.7% per year, right? The average investor, 2.6%. Huh. And the reason is we're emotional beings. Right. When fear sets in, what do we do? We run. It's like fight or flight. We jump ship, right? Yep. We're running from the woolly mammoth. (laughs) So diversification helps to reduce that risk, which helps to keep us stay invested. When we stay invested, we are typically rewarded, generally rewarded for that behavior. You know, I think about a lot of investors who freaked out when the recession hit 10 years ago and got out. And the ones who stayed in the market and rode it out made their money back a lot faster, right? Yeah. People typically get out when fear's at its highest. Mm -hmm. But when fear is at its highest, it's typically the, the damage has been done already. So the fifth economic reality we've got on here is, to, is uh, that correct principles working correctly throughout time. What do you mean by that? So this is actually going to lead us to our four-point financial plan. But if we make decisions based off of good principles, it doesn't matter what's happening in the economy. It's gonna, we're, we're going to be rewarded for that behavior. We talked about one already, right? Our demeanor, staying calm. Yeah. Stay calm in, in, in the face of fear and concern. Sticking to a predetermined financial plan. We're kind of building up to this, right? That's a good principle to have. I like this idea of stewardship. The idea of stewardship is you're caretaking someone else's money, mm-hmm. right? We typically tend to be a little bit more careful if we caretake someone else's stuff. Yeah. So I like this idea that, hey, if I'm responsible for Jag's money, and Jag's going to hold me responsible for what happens to his money. I tend to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more conscientious than if it's mine. It's accountability, yeah. A little bit of accountability built in. Uh, so these principles work throughout time. And when it leads to investing, there's actually three questions that I like to ask, and these questions will actually be part of the first part of our four-point plan. So you ready to jump into this? Let's do it. The first part of the plan is to think long-term with goals in investing. Right, we know that market downturns, market corrections, even recessions, 
are short-term events. Yeah. They come and they go. But our financial plan is typically a long-term plan. We're looking beyond two years or three years or four years. We're typically looking out 10 years, 20 years, possibly even 30 years. Right. So if we're thinking long-term, we're not going to be tricked into making a decision based off of a short-term event. Right. Okay. And as it relates to investments, there's three questions that I ask everyone before I make any investment recommendation. Mm -hmm. Number one is what's the purpose of the money? The idea is, hey, if it's retirement and you're 40 years old, well, retirement's what, 25 years away, 30 years away? I'm 38, so you're preaching to the choir right now. There we go. It's a long term. What happens today in the market is going to have very little implication on your retirement 25 years from now, unless you make a very poor decision. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're 65, it's a different story, right? That's why I asked the question. Yep. That, that's going to determine how money is invested. Uh, or if you're saving money for like a down payment on a house, it's short term, mm-hmm. you know, and what happens in the market today has a huge impact on your account value. The second question is what's the likelihood that you're going to need to access the money in the next three years? Okay. Why three years? Think of a recession. A recession might last, you know, one year, it might be two or three years before you recover. Okay. So if, if you lose money today in the market, you might recover in the next two to three years or so. So the idea is, if you might need your money in the next year, eh, you probably don't want to be in the market. Right. Right. If you need your money in the next two years, eh, you, you know, maybe you don't want to be in the stock market. Hey, if you're three or four or five years, then at that point, I'm like, mm, maybe you want to take on that risk for the potential reward that you'll get for being in the market. So that makes a lot of sense. Essentially, what you're asking here, Eric, is what is the likelihood that if there is a recession, that you will need to be able to access this money before your portfolio bounces back? Absolutely. All right. What's question number three? Third question is, what's your risk tolerance? Another one of those confusing words that gets thrown around a lot. Mm -hmm. But the idea is, what keeps you up at night? Right? Does the idea of losing 10% of your money keep you up at night? Hmm. Does the idea of losing 20% of your money keep you up at night? And put in perspective of the potential reward of staying invested. Um, you know, If you're someone who's checking your account's values regularly and constantly anxious about it, well, then I would say then there's a good chance that you have a lower risk tolerance, that there's a lot of anxiety built up. I don't want people constantly worried about their investment. So the answer to these three questions gives me the information that I need to recommend a portfolio to you, Jag, yep. when the market is doing crazy things, we've already accounted for these big issues. Hey, Jag, this money's for your retirement, 25 years away. Take it easy. Yeah. Right? Hey, Jag, look, you don't need to access this money. You've got some savings that you can access if you really need extra money. Hey, you're good. Hey, Jag, we already talked about this. You already know that you're good with a 20% drop given the potential reward of staying invested. Mm-hmm. So you're good. So you get through it. Everything's good. You're happy, right? Correct principles work all the time. All right, so the four-point plan. The first is to ask these three questions to think long-term with your goals and your investing. What is number two in the four-point plan? Number two is spend less than you earn. Which is such a simple concept in theory, but so hard to execute in real life. So simple. That's right. Spend less than you earn. All right, so there's a quote, and I can't believe I'm going to reference this, but I try to be a Renaissance man. We went from Tony Dungy to now Leo Tolstoy. This is a great quote from Tolstoy. There are two ways not to suffer from poverty. The first is to acquire more wealth. The second is to limit your requirements. The first is not always within our power, but the second is always in our power. We might not be able to bring more money in, but we can certainly control what's going out. Yeah, I love this. I love this quote because 
essentially what Tolstoy is saying here is we have the power to control what we spend. Mm-hmm. We have the power to limit what we spend. And I'm not, I'm not advocating that we all live like those shoebox houses and uh, you know, you know, hundred square foot home and all that kind of stuff. Now, no, if, if that's if that's your goal, then that's cool. That's cool. But I'm not, yeah, I'm not suggesting that we live like paupers here. But the idea is that we can control what we spend, right? Especially think of this: if if the economy is does start to struggle and does start to struggle more, you know, you might have a job that's commission based or a job that's tied to a bonus, yeah, and those might go away for a season. Commissions might go down. Your bonuses might not get paid, right? So you can't control that, but you can control how much you spend, and that's why the budget is so important. Right? Knowing what it costs you to live is so important because if you do lose a bonus or your income does drop because it is maybe tied to commissions, to know exactly what it costs you to live can really relieve a lot of anxiety if you look at it and say, wow, hey, I'm good. I can cut 500 from my budget if I need to. I can cut 1000 from my budget if I need to. So spend less than you earn. Got it. And just having that roadmap and sometimes even thinking about the long-term goals of whether it's retirement or the second home when you're older or whatever you're working towards, say, okay, what's more important, that second home, that retirement, or going out to dinner tonight? It's really important to think about it in those terms. Or go out to dinner, just, you know, have one less drink or, you know, don't get the filet. You know, get the New York strip instead. Yeah. There's ways around that. (laughs) So simple, right? Uh, So spend less than you are. Number three, maintain emergency savings. So important. So important. I mean, like everyone knows this. Here's another cliche for you. Save for a rainy day. <laughs> you, like, you like that? Yeah. I think we're on a roll. We're just going to try to break all, I'll smash all kinds of records with cliches in this episode. We need like a little bell. Every time the cliche, you can ring the bell. Oh yeah. Get a little ding for you. Or yeah, like you a cash register. That's what we need. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Maintain emergency savings. This It sounds so obvious, but this is something that so many Americans struggle with because when you have savings, savings give you uh, financial flexibility. We've heard that quote from a lot of the uh, people running for president at this point that I think it's over 50% of Americans would be in deep trouble if they had an unexpected $500 expense, they wouldn't have the money for a car repair or something like that. Paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So that, that emergency savings helps to avoid debt. It also, if you go back to our first point, right? Think long-term and in, in, in terms of our investing, if you have money in savings... That means that the likelihood of you having to touch your longer term investments is reduced. So therefore, you can stay invested and get rewarded by staying invested in the market. Also, when you have savings, it's going to help you avoid debt, right? Yeah. Let's say that you do, uh, your income does drop in the in, during an economy. And then you hit a pothole, one of those New Orleans potholes, and you need new tires for your car. Exactly. You have savings. It's that safety net. Next one you've got here is minimize using debt. What does that mean? Debt increases risk. Sure. So if I owe somebody money, and let's say that my income does drop, okay, for whatever reason, I don't get my bonus or commissions are down or or whatever the case may be. You think American Express cares? (laughs) (laughs) No. Do you think your mortgage company cares? Well, we definitely know they don't. No, they don't care. So the more debt you have, the more risks you have if the economy does start to struggle. And let me make one point here really quick, because we were talking about this as well. We're talking about like all the confusing terms that are being thrown around right now. Yeah. And one of them is these economic indicators. It's like alphabet soup and you hear about all the this and that and your thing. Like, which ones are actually important, Eric? Like economic indicators, is there one or two of all this 
stuff you get thrown at you. It's like drinking from a fire hose. Is there oh another cliche? Ding ding ding. Are there one or two economic indicators that we should really pay attention to more than the others? If you're an analyst on Wall Street and your job is to make investment decisions in companies, they all matter. If you're the average person on the street just trying to work and save and enjoy life, the only economic indicator that really matters is cash flow. Ah. Do I have money coming in to support the lifestyle that I want to live? It's the only one. Thank you for simplifying that because it's so confusing. If you flip on CNBC or Fox Business or whatever your flavor and you're just like, oh God, like what do I got to pay attention to here? That's just so much more simple way to look at it. Do I have enough money coming in to do what I need to do? That Thank you for simplifying that. It should be obvious, but hearing you say it out loud makes a world of difference. You're welcome, Jack. <laughs> so minimizing using debt when you do have savings, right? And you're, you're spending less than you make, you're able to pay down your debt. Remember, we're talking about not just your financial plan to like get through the recession. We're talking about, hey, start doing this now so that when it does happen, because it will happen eventually, right? just maybe not yet like that Barron's article indicates, right? The recession that might not happen. Um, they probably should add a yet to that because this will happen. But if you minimize the use of debt, um, you minimize your risk because you don't owe someone money. So if your cash flow, right, the only economic indicator that matters, right, is reduced a bit, you can still make all your well, if you who do have debt obligations, you can make them, but that debt it just magnifies financial problems. So minimize the use of uh, the use of debt. Excellent. So the four point plan that you've got here. Think long-term with your goals in investing, spend less than you earn, maintain emergency savings, and minimize using debt. All pretty straightforward, and thanks so much for boiling it down that way. So simple. So simple. Here's the thing. We love, I think this is just human nature. We love to complicate things. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why, but that's, you know, we're thinkers, right? We don't have to run from woolly mammoth anymore, so we can sit down and just think and overthink things. Yeah. So start simple and then you can get fancy later. So if you don't have a financial plan or if you do have one that's too complicated, sit down, revisit it. These four points, I'm going to tell you, they work. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what your net worth is. Could you imagine if the government lived by these? Think long term, <laughs> spend less. Oh, now that's just crazy talk, Eric. <laughs> Yeah, let's not go there. Right. But it's a simple plan that will work. So start simple and get fancy later. And a great way to do that is to schedule an appointment and come talk to Mr. Eric Garcia. What are the best ways to reach you? Yeah, you can always uh, call me 504-218-5479. You can always find me online on my website, www.plan-wisely.com. And there's a, a button on the top right to where you can shoot an email over to me. I'd love to have a conversation with you. And the website, we promise, is in English, not in Polish, right? It is not in Polish. Or German, for that matter. Or even Spanish. Excellent. <laughs> you want to have a conversation in Spanish, I'll be more than happy to oblige. Sounds good. Full service over there at Plan Wisely. Episode number two of Plan Wisely with Eric Garcia. Thanks for your time, Eric. Look forward to talking to you next time. Yeah, man. Take care. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. New Century Financial Group, LLC, Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., and Garcia Financial Group, LLC do not offer tax advice or tax services. 
please consult your tax specialist for individual advice. We make no specific comments or recommendations on any tax-related details. Entities listed are not affiliated.